Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the regular meeting of the Board of Multnomah County Commissioners. Audience members, I want to start by asking you to please silence your electronic devices. I would also like to remind people that in addition to the audience in this room, we also have people watching and listening online, so please consider your language and comments and testimony today. Today's meeting is a hybrid board meeting. Some presenters and guests will appear in person and some will appear virtually. For those presenting virtually, please mute your mic when not speaking. When presenting, make sure to unmute your mic and turn on your camera. And for all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. May I have a motion on the consent calendar? So moved. Second. Commissioner Brim Edwards moves. Commissioner Stegman seconds. Approval of the consent calendar. Uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The consent calendar is approved. Um, opportunity for public comment on non-agenda matters. This is a time for the board to hear public testimony, not for board deliberation. When it is your turn to speak, I will call your name and unmute you or call you to the presenter's table. I'll set a timer for three minutes when you begin speaking and announce when your time is up, at which point please wrap up your sentence. Uh, Madam Chair, we received, just a moment, I'm just checking, uh, four verbal testimony and one written testimonies. Um, I will uh, begin calling people. Injured and pissed off, Patrick McDade and Charles Johnson. Please come forward. My name is Injured and Pissed Off, and I spoke yesterday at City Hall about another subject, but March 9th and March 16th, I spoke here about a, a video cabinet that I was intending on uh, using for a TV stand. This is one that's very similar to it. Uh, it was found at the same place, the William D. Temple House. Uh, it, it isn't the same one because the feet are different locks on it, but this is the same type of cabinet. Whoops. It's very uh, tall, three feet tall, five and a half feet long, 24 inches wide. Uh, and uh, the reason why I'm saying that is that I'm gonna go to the police now that I've got a picture of a cabinet that looks like it. And as I said, the building has all kinds of security cameras. And the management has said that the police aren't coming to to look at the videotapes, and I'm wondering why. Is that the reason why the police chief quit and uh, why the mayor isn't running for a third term? Uh, the building is owned by the city of Portland, uh, housing authority of Portland specifically. And uh, the elevators uh, in my building, again, are being remodeled apparently. Uh, the last time they were significantly, uh, one elevator was down for more than two months and there's rumors that it'll be down for three months possibly. And then they'll tear down the second one apparently. They're replacing the motors and the switches and everything. And uh, yesterday I was in the lobby uh, sitting uh, 
in the lobby and there was two ambulances that came to get patients and of course there's only one elevator now in the building and uh, that is uh, when they're able to to use it and of course that is if it doesn't break down the second one I'm saying uh, Otis uh, elevator company is a very large elevator company I know that because I've had I've known people that's worked for Otis Elevators. They're, they're an elevator company that's worldwide. I can't believe that it'd take two or three months to replace anything that they do. So I wanted to make them aware of that. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Patrick, you can go ahead. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Patrick McDade. I'm the Program Director of People, Places, Things. I live in North Portland, but much of my work is in East Multnomah County, Commissioner Stegman's area. I want to bring to attention concerns among community members in Rockwood and Gresham of RKM Management and the Rockwood Market Hall nonprofit. It would not be easy to summarize these concerns in three minutes. Fortunately, anyone can hear public testimony from vendors and stakeholders at the Gresham Redevelopment Commission meetings in March, September, and November in 2020. Speaking for myself, the property manager has been dismissive and evasive in carrying out the mission of the market hall, and we don't know what recourse there is to move things forward. We've received incorrect information about the use of the commissary kitchen. The first market manager quit a month after opening, leaving the vendors to flounder for months. Documents have been lost. The ground lease requires a stakeholder advisory committee, which has yet to be convened. Promises to release the marketing plan have not been kept. The project has two domestic nonprofits, Rockwood Market Hall and Rockwood Food, filed with no 990s filed in the last uh, couple of years and an unknown purpose. Although Mr. Brian Monberg has been uh, very, uh, the chair of the GRDC has communicated with me and has been open, uh, there is reticence and evasion in general of pretty basic questions. I was an initial tenant at the Portland Mercado and it was much easier to get questions to answers to similar questions, uh, but that was a private project who saw that community engagement was a key part of the strategy. Our public-private model of the Rockwood Market Hall, an amazing project, should be more transparent and community engaged, not less. This isn't the most pressing issue that faces the county. It's just that we're all we're asking for is transparency and engagement with so much impact for low-income in BIPOC residents of Rockwood. The frustrations are not so much about the specific problems, which are solvable than the difficulty of getting a timely, transparent, accurate response. It leaves us unclear of the path for communication other than to bring public testimony. I am and have requested, I am requesting a clear statement of the purpose of the two nonprofits whose boards are composed of the City of Gresham current and former employees. Uh, an explanation of the two-year delay of the Stakeholder Advisory Committee uh, and a plan for its implementation publication of community engagement strategy and activities as required by the ground lease, and publication of the marketing plan for the Rockwood Market Hall. Uh, while these are only some of the challenges, they're the ones most clearly under the purview of the county to ensure the Rockwood Market Hall meets its highest aspirations to serve Rockwood residents and all of East County. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Today, I'm Mayor Al Gonzo Maps, Bridge Green, Simca Johnson. I think today we'll find out that there's somebody running against Mingus Maps for mayor. Uh, yesterday, we had 
uh, a news release, a little nice joint presentation here. Um, I have to say, as a person who's uh, struggled or reveled in extreme poverty, whatever the heck it is I'm neurodivergently doing, it is unsettling to read that now, after Sam Adams is gone and Charlie Hales is gone, we're finally saying, we'll be identifying a baseline number of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness as of next month. And then we're gonna work seriously on a 50% reduction of that number. Uh, why do we pay a big data processing company to run the HMIS? We should have had a s something better than the point in time count for a long time. Um, fortunately or not, uh, for those who didn't notice, oh look, I don't even have my agenda. R1 and R2 are disappearing off the agenda. Pfft, magic. Uh, Multnomah Safe Rest Village, we're gonna get a little bit more better community engagement. Um, of course, a certain percentage of our community spends some time engaging with centerfolds. I encourage you to engage with centerfolds, uh, particularly from street routes. That one's just about uh, growing good things. But if you look through the rest of the paper, uh, you'll be reminded about fame. Not fame, like fame, I wanna live forever, but with a PH, uh, P-H-A-M-E. Occasionally they've been here to present and I hope that uh, the reason they're featured in Street Roots is because uh, county and city funding has not decreased for their programs. Um, Really, if I was a more capable person, I think I would work on getting people experiencing developmental disabilities to be engaging right here, right now. Um, but what we really, another thing we need right now is to understand why Earl Blumenauer, who's not even running for re-election and has people visiting his lovely home, is not calling for a ceasefire. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is not in the best interest of anybody except Benjamin Netanyahu and maybe a few whack job uh, ultra-religious Zionists and arms merchants. So I hope that uh, soon, maybe like tonight when we're lighting the candles for Hanukkah, uh, sense will suddenly prevail and uh, the United States will insist upon a ceasefire and Israelis and Palestinians will also realize that you know, Hamas and the Netanyahu whatever regime uh, can get back on that uh, pause ceasefire track so we can not hit 30,000 dead people by Christmas. Um, when we look at the other things, the uh, extend, oh, the Joint Office Homeless Services, uh, we gotta do more rent assistance and less $2,100 per month welfare for hotel own, motel owning landlords. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have two more um, left, uh, Gerard Mil Mildner. Uh, good morning, um, uh, my name is Jerry Milner. I'm a retired professor from Portland State and a volunteer with the Revitalized Portland Coalition. I'm actually testifying to congratulate the chair on the agreement with the city with respect to uh, 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 the, the homelessness uh, list. And I think the, the most important thing about developing the by name list will be collecting information uh, on, from the, the homeless people regarding their uh, previous work history uh, also their next of kin. Um, and the goal for the program really should be to try to rehabil rehabilitate these people. In some cases, this involves engaging them in their previous work experience. In other cases, this involves drug and alcohol treatment. And the devil's in the details, so I'd encourage the rest of the commissioners to make sure that those things are components of this program. Thank you. 
uh, Lightning. Yes, my name is Lightning. I represent Lightning Super Humanity X. As you may be aware of, the displaced albino descendants sued against City and Legacy Hospital. Emmanuel can proceed. Judge Michael Simon has stated by his 27-page opinion. Again, this goes all the way back to what I call the Klan tactics used by the City of Portland to displace these people. And what we're seeing here is they're looking at the restitution, the number that might be awarded. They're looking at their home values right now that have already been removed off the land. And they're determining that value. And they're looking at maybe up to 500,000, maybe even up higher than that per home. And a lot of these people, they're fighting on behalf of their relatives. They, they, into the future, this is like projecting into the future the values. And again, uh, PSU did a study on this back in actually 21 called Reclamation Towards the Futurity of Central Albina. And this is an intense study on exactly what happened in that location, exactly what happened to the families, exactly the way that the city operates, still, in my opinion. And what this case will show is that it will create a precedent for future cases such as mine coming forward being displaced off my property some of the very same tactics, what I call the Klan tactics, when I'm talking Columbia River Marina, how I was displaced by Multnomah County River Patrol by force, by threats, by intimidation, by impeding your property. And the reality is, is that people are coming forward now and they're asking for, for their money, restitution. And this will set precedent throughout the whole city. And what I want to see have happen is that when you had Klan members that were commissioners for Multnomah County, which is history, which is fact, creating policies within the county, have you gone back over all those policies and said, not in my county anymore? Have you? removed any of those policies that the Klan members put into place in Multnomah County. Now, another thing that a lot of people aren't thinking of on this situation, OHSU is looking to do a, one of the largest mergers with Legacy. Will that stop the merger, OHSU? I want to hear what you have to say, because I think you need to back away from that deal and back away now. Multi-billion, one of the largest mergers in history, should be stopped. We will now move on to R1. R1, resolution approving Welcome to the, the Klan FC1 strategies.
thank you so much. Thank you, Lightning. You've had your time. Silence of voices, too. All right. So, um, so the Joint Office has asked to postpone the item on the multi, um, the Montevilla Community Village Shelter to allow the current work, <clears throat> excuse me, around community engagement to continue to move forward and take shape. So this request um, impacts both R1 and R2 on today's agenda. And while this may affect the overall timeline of the project, the commitment to this much needed shelter space is going to continue. And I really appreciate the additional time for needed community engagement. This shelter also remains an essential part of the work serving vulnerable residents in Montevilla and Southeast Portland. So this item will return to the agenda as well as R2 for a vote at a later date before moving forward. I support the request and I ask for a motion for an indefinite postponement. So moved. All right, we have um, the motion for postponement moved and seconded. Can we have a uh, roll call vote? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Uh, Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The motion to postpone indefinitely is approved. <coughs> Madam Chair, can I just speak? Oh, so why don't you do it um, as we're considering the motion to postpone the next one and it okay. will be within the thing. Okay. R2, Supplemental Budget uh, SUP03 DCA00124 Montevilla Community Village Alternative Shelter. Okay, and so may I have a motion, motion to postpone R2? So moved. Commissioner Stegman moves, Commissioner Brim Edwards seconds. Um, do we have any discussion on the item? Um, so I just wanted to share my appreciation um, to the Joint Office um, and the, the Chair's Office for um, for, de for delaying this so that we have an opportunity for community engagement. And um, I'm supportive of the county's um, strategy around um, alternative shelter sites and our funding of them. And um, I believe this time um, that we will, between now and um, when this comes back, um, have an opportunity for the community to better understand the project, um, help inform it. Um, it's near, near a school. There's um, two business districts. There's the ongoing um, Better 82nd project going. Um, and I think this period of time will allow um, the, the joint office and the provider to have a, a, a conversation with the community, um, understand what their concerns are, um, and set it up for success, both for those who will be sheltered there and also for the um, surrounding neighborhood. So I appreciate um, the delay. Thank you. I have comments as well. Sure, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just, I want to uh, echo Commissioner uh, Brim Edwards' uh, appreciation for the delay. Um, you know, I, I also want to note that this, uh, there have been conversations about this um, and community members have been speaking up and trying to engage for, I think, almost two years and uh, I have been part of those conversations, efforts to connect with the joint office uh, prior to Danfield, I'm gonna say this is historical, uh, and the intense frustration that has been experienced in terms of community being left out of conversations and uh, having um, been out there and around the site, I am very, uh, I, I am hopeful and having been a proponent of alternative shelter for years, um, 
I am hopeful that there will be true meaningful engagement with community, with the providers, with the neighbors, with people living unsheltered so that we can actually make this uh, a, a positive move forward after having had that space sit there for um, a, a very long period of time unused. Thanks. Thank you. Um, the clerk will now take a roll call vote for the approval of the postponement of R2. Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega-Peterson? Aye. The motion to postpone indefinitely is approved. R3, budget modification uh, JOHS 00624 increases JOHS state federal fund appropriations by $2,114,525. Second. Commissioner Myron moves. Commissioner Segment seconds. Approval of R3. Good morning. Good morning, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Dan Field. I'm the Director of the Joint Office of Homeless Services here today on R3, and I will turn it over to my colleague, Antoinette Payne. Thank you. I believe there's a presentation we're waiting yes. for. Thank you. <laughs> I can, for the record, myself. Good morning, Madam Chair, members of the board. For the record, my name is Antoinette Payne. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the finance manager senior for the Joint Office of Homeless Services. And at some point, there'll be slides. Uh, if we can change it to the next slide, please. So today we are here to discuss the budget modification for Oregon All In. A brief summary of the award, on January 10th, 2023, Governor Tina Kotek issued an Executive Order 23-02, declaring a state of emergency in response for homelessness. The purpose of this order is to lower barrier shelter capacity, rehouse individuals experiencing homelessness, and prevent further homelessness to the best extent possible. Next slide, please. As you recall, on November 28th, we did a board briefing on the multi-agency coordination initiatives. Just a reminder that the Oregon All In is an initiative of the multi-agency coordination group, which has been created for interagency management planning coordination and operational leadership to provide strategic coordination identify resources and manage goals. Here's just a little bit of a background of why we are here for this budget modification. Last fiscal year, Monoma County initially was awarded 18.2 million from the state. The award spanned it two fiscal years. In FY23, we were allocated 4.8 million, and in FY24, we were allocated 13.4 million, which is in our current budget. We had estimated that we would spend more of the FY23 allocation. As a result, the award amount was reduced by 2.7 million and redistributed it to other counties. The reduction we experienced will be offset by Housing Monoma Now, which is funded by supported housing services. However, it still leaves 2.1 million from FY23 that we need to spend this fiscal year. Next slide, please. So we are here today requesting an increase in the budget appropriation in the federal state fund by 2.1 million for Oregon All In. This action will increase our budget for Oregon All In to 15.5 million, which will be in line with the updated war amount. As displayed on the table 
on this slide, I do want to note that this award ends January 10th, 2024. There has been some statewide conversations discussing extending this grant to June 30th. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you very much. We'll go to the board <coughs> for any questions and comments. And um, I'm gonna start with Commissioner Brim Edwards. So I just question to make sure I understand um, the, the, the money movement. Going back to the slide, it's a couple back. I don't know, there's not uh, slide numbers. It's the one that has the background. Slide uh, uh, three. Uh, uh, keep this one. So when the um, award from the state was the 2.7 million was redistributed to other counties and taken back from Multnomah County, or what, we, what we're doing this morning is taking actually SHS money and backfilling a portion of that. Is that essentially what we're doing? Yes. And we're, we're using our funds to backfill the Oregon All-In, which is the state initiative. Um, if, we, if we didn't need the money, the 2.7 million, and we send it back, then how come we're now refilling it with our own money? It seems like we needed it. I'm just I'm trying to understand the money movement. It, it wasn't our decision to send it back. Um, that was the state reallocating across all counties, and the reallocation included a drop from Multnomah County. And so our decision was to keep pushing ahead and use SHS dollars to backfill the money that the governor was pulling towards other counties. So it wasn't that we didn't need it. It's that we, the money was just taken from us. Correct. Was taken, the decision was made to take the money f from us, redistribute it, and now we're backfilling with our regional money that could, could be spent other places to support this particular initiative. At that point, we had already made allocations to our providers, set targets with our providers, and rather than go back and do an across the board cut and reset all those allocations with the providers, we said, let's keep going, uh, stay on course, and use those SHS dollars to backfill the state dollars that got pulled back. And the $2.1 million primarily is going to support um, what specific initiatives? So the 2.1 will essentially increase the emergency shelter, which is a payment that we will give to the city so for Clinton Triangle. And triangle, so the which is one of the commitments we had already made in the allocations we had already made. This is fulfilling our commitment to the city around Clinton Triangle, the 140 um, shelters. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Beeson. No questions. Hey, uh, Commissioner Myron. <coughs> Thank you. Um, I really appreciate Commissioner Brim Edwards uh, asking some of those clarifying questions because I actually was extremely confused by this. Um, and uh, and I think it was that that two point seven million dollars was um, the state sort of um, I don't know if punishment is the right word, but I'm going to use it because I can't think of a better word. But um, punishment for not having a plan that was I I thought that they had said they're going to take it back from us because we were not using it appropriate. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. You're looking quizzically at me. So. Um, just the reasoning behind why the state took that money back and then we tried to say, oh, that's great, we should, you know, we should help other jurisdictions 
and now we're saying, no, we actually need it. I, I, I guess the order of operations is what's, what I'm really confused about. Um, I, I, and I, I didn't, ha I wasn't sure about what um, the specifics were behind this um, until kind of just now. So I apologize for, for asking some of these questions right now. But it seemed like at the time the $2.7 million was taken back by the state, there were comments by the county that that was okay and there was understanding. There wasn't a statement that, no, 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 don't take that back. We need this money and we'll reallocate it from somewhere else. It was that that money was taken away. If we were planning on needing that money, it seems like should this should have been brought before the board sooner. At this point, it seems like we're kind of covering retroactively action that's taken. Like, I'm not sure what we would do if the, vo if the board didn't support this because this money has already been committed, or am I wrong? No, I think that's right. You know, the Oregon All-In obviously is a statewide program. It's the governor and the legislature's discretion mm -hmm. about how to spread those dollars. So we have limited authority to say no. I would say that's number one. Number two, uh, in consultation with the chair and others, we knew that we had those SHS dollars available to cover that gap. So I think it, it makes sense rather than uh, pick a fight with the state when we're building momentum around Oregon All-In, we decided to make that move and bring that budget modification back to the board. And I I'll just add, I think part of the reasons why we want to backfill is one, we had unprecedented amount of um, SHS revenue coming in this year where we have this in this part of the um, state and, and other areas don't. And I think the other piece is we didn't want to move, we didn't want to back away from the goal. So one of the things with the decreased amount of the Oregon all-in dollars from the state was that there was a decrease in the, the number of um, placements that we would do um, because of that. So they, they decreased the money. They also decreased the goal of, of how many placements we have. We didn't want to back away from this goal, so we wanted to be able to backfill um, with these SHS dollars so that we can still have that goal that we are working towards to make sure that we are actually having the impact that we wanted with the, the first intention of the program. And thank you for that clarification. Um, and so for the, and you mentioned the date of January you know, I, we're mid-December right now, and this allocation is, it, the time periods, but you, you mentioned potentially being able to extend that to June, but we don't know that. Um, and so theoretically, is it that this money would need to be used by Let's, I January? want to get clarification, Commissioner okay. Myron, on that yeah. last point, because it's an important one. And yeah. let's, yeah, thank so you. I'll let our MAC Director, Deanna Negretti, introduce herself. <laughs> Hello. Um, good morning. Deanna, good morning. Deanna Negretti, she, her pronouns, director of MAC operations. Um, so as you know, we came and talked about um, the MAC initiatives, Oregon All-In and Housing Multnomah now last week. Uh, I will say that with conversations with the state, they have um, wanted to make sure that we have funding to continue supporting the households that are placed through Oregon All-In and because of how funding is being filtered through the state, they have extended the um, 
the original House bill, I'm forgetting the House bill number at the moment, uh, to June 30th, and then they will then we'll have Senate Bill 5511 starting, um, um, which will also help to continue the funding for organ all-in placements. At the start of the next biennium? Yes. I'm just curious, if we did not have the windfall of hundred plus million dollars of extra SHS money what was the plan to do about this if we weren't lucky and happened to get extra at money? the time the governor notified us about the change we knew we had that uh, those funds available so we we didn't have to consider what would happen if we didn't have them okay I guess it just feels and I'll, I'll finish now but it just feels a bit like you know obviously we want to, I want yeah speak for myself, I want to support the Clinton Triangle project. Um, and so I feel like my hands are tied. Like, of course, I have to vote for this without really having any of that information until now. And that it's, it's just some weird budgetary magic that is putting these funds here. And so I, I'm going to vote for it because I want the Clinton Triangle project to continue, and I'm worried it wouldn't. But this, this just doesn't seem like the way we should be doing budgeting, frankly. So, I, I, I actually I hear your concern about that. Let me explain. Our thinking was that we wanted the board to have a full briefing on Oregon All In, which we had on the 28th with Deanna, and I thought that was really robust. We had the providers here, and then the budget modification followed that. If we'd brought the budget modification first, you would have had no context for the work, for the programs, and for how the state and county uh, state and county dollars are working together to get people housed. So that was the sequence, um, and that's why we're here today to follow on to that 1128 briefing with this uh, exchange of funds. Okay, actually, that raises one other question for me. Thank you for that. But um, so that was November November 28th, so the end of the year, like, and, and now we're in December and we're talking about January. Is there a reason this didn't come up sooner? Um, did we not know, like, what, why did this come up at the end of the year, basically, when this has been happening, I believe, all year? All of this has been in progress. Now, the, the governor's decision was just a few months ago and the the decision to backfill with SHS dollars was something that was ongoing. And so it's, uh, it didn't happen last week, but it also didn't happen earlier this year. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Segner. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I just wanted to appreciate the joint office. I know you come here uh, quite frequently and uh, aren't always recognized uh, for the heavy lifting uh, that you all do. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of things are unforeseeable, and we haven't done everything perfectly, uh, but I do just want to appreciate uh, all the joint office staff who are in the trenches every single day. And we don't talk about the number of people that we house or the number of people that we prevent from becoming homeless. And I think we need to talk about the wins as well as where we can improve and focus on how we can expand those numbers. And I think backfilling this money is, is a way to get there. So thank you for being here. I appreciate that, Commissioner Stegman. And I will just say my goal or our goal as a team is to keep the people at the center, to keep the focus on the work and the initiatives and the targets we're trying to reach and getting people rehoused. And the money needs to serve that. So rather than 
talking about the money, the money needs to serve the policy that you all have set and we are trying to execute. So the case here of a budget modification allows us to make a midstream adjustment, bring these monies uh, into the program in a way that allows us to continue to do the work with our providers and ultimately uh, unsheltered individuals in a seamless way. And so I appreciate your recognition of that. All right, thank you very much. Um, appreciate the, the work and um, Antoinette, I just want to call out you for call out you for the, the, the work that you've been doing to make sure that all of these budget things are happening as they should be and making sure that that is um, in place. We had a really good conversation yesterday um, about <clears throat> the need to have transparency in our budget and I really feel very confident with you being in this role for the past several months, we are in a, such a better place than we were a year ago. So thank you so much. I mean, not just that was like underselling it, like a phenomenally better place than we were a year ago. So um, thank you so much and thank you, Deanna, for, for stepping up. Um, I believe we have a, a couple of public comments on this item, so you are welcome to step back. Thank you so much. Um, Charles Johnson and Lightning. Good morning. I'm not Mayor Bridge Crane, Simca Charles Johnson, and uh, it's nice to see the board engaging uh, with questions and also Commissioner Stegman, who I haven't really acknowledged since she got back from hopefully a wonderful Korea experience. Uh, that uh, the heavy lifting that goes on, uh, lifting literally hundreds, over $100 million uh, through the Joint Office of Homeless Services. Unfortunately, we're not sure how much of that money we're lifting to out-of-state absentee landlords. Um, not a lot long ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, we said, well, we got $100 million this year, but we better reserve a hotel for five freaking years and, keep, and not buy it. God forbid we buy it, even though I think we bought the other hotel that's at I-84, and of course, um, maybe, I'm sorry that I missed the 28th uh, bit about Oregon all in or all in Oregon, and for not having, if, if Governor Tina Kotek has a homelessness czar that's maybe at the top of that 40-person committee, uh, I can't remember that person's name, but what I think we need to do one more time is go through the budget in like a top-down way, who's the number one receiver of funds? Probably got to be transition projects, but maybe not, because we're going to do 140 people now at Clinton Triangle. They're already there, so we got to pay for them. We also need a plan to wind down the unpurchased hotels. Uh, $2,100 dropped on an individual every month until they become one of the seven dead people out of 150 people that we tracked. Um, imagine that we pretend we're fighting homelessness when we see two people get evicted because we couldn't give them $1,800 worth of rent assistance because we're committed to giving $2,100 per month per person in a check mailed to Washington State for the owner of a hotel that we won't buy. They probably even want to sell it to us. They might like to get one big check and be done dealing with the county, but we don't ask these questions. Uh, maybe, they, I, I can't say we don't. We don't get informed in this venue about those questions. 
Um, I did resonate with a little confusion that, that Commissioner Myron was having. You know, it was confusing back in April when we had the SHS surf fund, and we were actually told by the governor, your plan sucks. It's not a plan. You're not going to get some money. But then I think we tweaked it, and I also want to uh, acknowledge the context of this. It's hard to believe that we haven't yet hit the first anniversary of Chair Peterson, so there's a lot of programs that were initiated in the past that we have to tie these pieces together. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Lightning? Yes, my name is Lightning. I represent Lightning Super Humanity X. Again, I wanted to welcome you back, Marina. It's good to see you back. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting about Governor Kotek is that she has a lot of power that I really didn't think the governor has over the city, over the county, and making very important decisions and determining if they need to get funded from certain parts of the county. I don't want your hands on the HSS funding, Governor Kotek. Keep your hands off that money. And pardon me if I get out of line with what I said, but the reality is that I want to see the state bringing more money into the county a lot more money. And your Oregon All In really sounds interesting, and I'll be doing a lot of studying on that to know who all your members are and exactly what you've done up to this point, which I have not done, but I will be doing that in the next few days. And the reality is I'd like Oregon All In to also consider when we're looking at the homeless and talking about the homeless, which relates to this budget modification, and we're talking about poverty, when are we going to do an Oregon all-in basic income for the homeless communities? We basically did that in the middle of COVID-19 and it seemed to work pretty good. They were being funded additional money and a lot of them were quite happy and I think we're doing much better than now. So why don't we just implement that? We have this extraordinary SHS funding, record numbers. Why don't we just calculate that and say, if you're homeless, you're outdoors, you get paid a certain amount per month now. Oregon is all in on that, Governor Kotek. Why don't you step forward since you have that kind of power, which you do. And I really like Governor Kotek. And I plan on having a, a nice lunch with you when you come into Portland, and I'll have a lot of things to talk to you about, especially about Multnomah County River Patrol. But I want you to focus on this basic income. What does it take? What does it take to be able to give them a check each month and let them make their own decision where they want to live? Let them get together with another person and pay some rent somewhere, and look, we just provided them housing. A lot of people housing by that, by using that system put into place called the Lightning Basic Income 
for the homeless communities. Thank you so much, Governor Kotek, because I know Chair Peterson will not go that direction. Let's get it put together, Governor. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The board clerk will now take a roll call vote. Commissioner Myron? Um, aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The budget modification is approved. R4. Authorizing settlement of a worker's compensation claim for Daniel uh, Shadovsky. So moved. Second. Commissioner Myron moves. Commissioner Segman seconds. Approval of R4. Good morning. Good morning, Chair. Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Ashley Bannon-Moore. I am an attorney with the County Attorney's Office here today with Amber McMurray, who I believe is appearing virtually to present a proposed worker's compensation settlement. Um, I'll see if she's online. Amber, you should be a panelist now. Good morning. Okay. Good morning. We can hear you. My name's Amber McMurray, and I'm the Workers' Compensation Program Manager here at the county. Good morning, uh, uh, Chair and Board members. Uh, we are here to request approval of a workers' compensation settlement for Daniel Swarovski, who is a Multnomah County Sheriff's Office Corrections Deputy. Um, the board staff was previously briefed on the settlement. Um, it is for a what's referred to as a global settlement. It settles all existing issues and also an employment release. The approval amount being requested is $165,000. Thank you, Amber. Did we receive any public testimony on this item? No, Madam Chair. Okay, we'll go to the board for any questions or comments. We'll start with Commissioner Beeson. None. Thanks. Commissioner Myron. No. None. Thanks. Commissioner Segman. No questions. Commissioner Brim Edwards. I appreciate that I had my questions answered um, before the meeting. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Then can the board clerk um, take a roll call vote? Commissioner Myron. Aye. Commissioner Beeson. Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The settlement is approved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. R5, first reading of ordinance amending MCC Chapter 5 relating to campaign finance. So moved. Second. Commissioner Stegman moves. Commissioner Myron seconds. Approval of R5. Good morning. Good morning, Chair Vega Peterson and Commissioners. My name is Tim Scott. I'm the Director of Elections for Multnomah County. And we're here today to request that the board adopt an ordinance amending sections of Multnomah County Code, Chapter 5, that govern campaign finance. The Elections Division administers the county's campaign finance compliance program in partnership with the county attorney's office. This includes educating the public about the county's campaign finance regulations, as well enforcing the regulations and investigating potential violations. The purpose of this campaign finance ordinance is to update the code so that existing campaign finance practices are clearer and more transparent to candidates and members of the public. Collie O'Dell is the program specialist that oversees our campaign finance program with the support of Catherine Thomas from the county attorney's office. I'll turn it over to Collie to talk about the contents of the ordinance. Thanks, Tim. Um, 
I'm Kali O'Dell, Elections District and Candidate Specialist with Multnomah County Elections Division. Good morning. Um, if we could go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to start today with a little bit of history and foundational information about our campaign finance program so that I can provide some context for the ordinance that we're bringing before the board today. So we'll start in 2016, which is when voters approved a, a campaign finance charter amendment that regulates certain aspects of campaign finance in county candidate elections. The regulations apply to candidate elections for the county chair, for the commissioners, for our sheriff, and for our auditor. And just in some broad terms, there were three aspects the charter amendment was intended to regulate. First were contribution limits, um, which dictate who would be able to make contributions to candidates and how much they could contribute. Um, second were expenditure limits, which placed restrictions on spending in candidate elections, both for candidates and independent people or groups who are interested in spending money to support or oppose a candidate. Um, and third were disclosure requirements, which required that communication materials that either supported or opposed uh, county candidates must include a disclosure statement that would inform the public about the communication's true source of funding. Um, because there were questions about whether or not these campaign finance regulations were in conflict with state and federal law, the county took steps to determine what we could legally enforce. Um, and that started in 2017 with the county adopting a campaign finance ordinance that incorporated the charter amendment into our county code. Um, then after that, the county sought court review uh, for the legality of our new campaign finance program, and those court proceedings ran through 2021. Um, within that time period in 2019, the county adopted a disclosure amendment ordinance that more thoroughly implemented disclosure requirements, and that was when the county began enforcing those disclosure requirements. Um, when the legal proceedings were resolved in 2021, the final outcome was that contribution limits were upheld as legal and enforceable, but expenditure limits were ruled unconstitutional. So all of that led to our existing campaign finance compliance program, uh, which enforces disclosure requirements and contribution limits. Um, also in 2021, the Elections Division adopted administrative rules that allowed us to implement and supplement the campaign finance code. And so now we've operated two county candidate election cycles under this regime, the regular 2022 election cycle, and then the 2023 special election cycle to fill Commissioner District 3's vacancy earlier this year. Um, and now through our experiences during these campaign cycles and based on questions that our office has received from stakeholders throughout this, these processes, we've identified code changes that would make our existing practices and administration of campaign finance regulations clearer and more transparent to candidates and the public. Um, this is a really technical program and it can be challenging to navigate. Um, and our goal here is to try to make it as clear as possible how people can stay in compliance with the law. So I'm going to just give a brief summary um, of the updates the proposed ordinance would make to our code, um, along with a little bit of information about how we see these changes impacting candidates and the public. Can we go to the next slide? Thank you. Um, so first, this ordinance would repeal expenditure limits from the code. As I mentioned, um, expenditure limits were adopted in code before they were found to be unconstitutional. Um, so the county has never enforced expenditure limits and it can't do so. 
Um, and so the, the purpose of repealing the expenditure limits from code would be to align the text of the code with the practice of not enforcing expenditure limits. The reality here is that most people are not aware of the legal history of our campaign finance regulations. Um, and they may go through reading the code and see the text that references expenditure limits uh, and details compliance with them. And that can be really confusing to people. Um, we have candidates and spenders who believe that they may have to um, follow the expenditure limits when they don't have to. People who are less experienced with running a campaign um, or unable to afford legal consultation about how to comply with our code um, are particularly vulnerable to being confused by this section being in the code. Um, and that can lead to an unequal playing field for candidates and for people who are interested in spending uh, in candidate elections. So repealing the expenditure provisions from the code would remove that text and it would more clearly communicate to candidates and other stakeholders that they do not have to, ex to uh, comply with these expenditure limits. Um, I do want to be clear, though, that while this step repeals expenditure limits from the code, it does not change our charter. Um, so if state or federal law changes sometime in the future and allows for enforcement, we would take steps at that time to move forward with enforcement. Can we go to the next slide? Um, the ordinance would also consolidate defined terms and definitions for campaign finance. So our campaign finance regulations use a lot of different terms that have specific legal definitions. Um, those include common words like candidate, um, but the meaning of the word candidate for campaign finance purposes is very different than what you would find if you, say, looked it up in a dictionary. Um, so knowing the correct terms is really key to understanding the rules and how you can comply with them. Um, the issue that we have is that the defined terms for our campaign finance uh, regulations are dispersed in a number of different places. So some are listed and defined in the code itself. Um, some have been clarified or are defined in our county administrative rules. And then some definitions were adopted and are currently enumerated in 2016 state statute. Um, so as you can imagine, or as some of you have probably experienced, um, this can be a really difficult system to navigate. Uh, it's really labor intensive to look up and apply definition across, uh, definitions across multiple documents, and it increases the risk that folks who need to comply with our campaign finance regulations might miss a definition or rely on the wrong one and unintentionally violate our regulations. So in order to reduce the potential issues, what we're proposing are steps to consolidate the campaign finance definitions. So this ordinance would ensure that we list in code all of the defined terms that are used for campaign finance, defined terms that don't have their full definitions incorporated into code. We'll clearly direct anybody who's interested in learning about the definitions to read the complete definition in our administrative rules. And we're currently going through the process of updating our administrative rules so that they have all of the complete campaign finance definitions in them um, so that people have a single source that they can go to to find that information. Um, there are also some code definitions that have been clarified by rule over the last few years. Um, and this ordinance would adopt those established clarifications that we've um, had in rule into code so that we can consolidate those definitions into one place and don't have a situation where a term is partially defined in code and partially defined in rule. 
Uh, these steps are not going to change our existing campaign finance definitions. Um, they're solely designed to better organize our defined terms and definitions so that they're more accessible, which will make the code more user-friendly. Um, this will help candidates and the public better understand the county's campaign finance regulations and how to comply with them. Can we go to the next slide? Um, there is a definition uh, that is currently in code that would also be updated by this ordinance, and that is for small donor committee. Um, our intention for the update is to clarify the language in the definition so that it more explicitly communicates the county's existing interpretation and practices around this particular definition. Um, so for some background, current language in the code defines a small donor committee as a political committee which cannot accept contributions in amounts exceeding $115 per individual contributor per calendar year. Um, because uh, small donor committees are only permitted to accept these small contributions, there's actually no limit on how much a small donor committee can contribute to a Multnomah County candidate. Um, so what's implicit in that definition is that a political committee that has a history of accepting large contributions can't suddenly become a small donor committee by one day deciding from here on out we're going to start complying with these, um, these small contribution limits for a small donor committee. Um, and we want to make that um, implicit part of the definition explicit in code by updating what uh, the, the language for the definition. Um, we really feel like these clarifications in, in the ordinance will more effectively communicate the full definition of small donor committee um, so that it will be clearer to candidates, to contributors, and to the public how a political committee can meet the criteria for a small donor committee um, and help with compliance in our campaign finance regulations. Go to the next slide. Um, next, there is an existing provision um, that we currently have an administrative rule um, that gives candidates and their campaigns a window of opportunity to refund or decline a non-compliant contribution so that it doesn't count as a campaign finance violation. Uh, the purpose of this provision um, is that it allows candidates and their campaigns the chance to identify and fix mistakes in a timely manner without facing uh, a campaign viol uh, finance violation. The ordinance would preserve what is existing practice around that, um, but it would move the provision from rule and into code as a more appropriate home, um, including it in the section of code that governs the acceptance of contributions will increase uh, visibility and awareness that candidates and their campaigns have this option available to them and hopefully help candidates and their campaigns remain compliant uh, with the county's contribution provisions. Um, by taking this into account. Um, the ordinance would adopt slightly different language than what is currently in rule, um, but only to communicate the refund decline timelines more clearly. There are some, um, there's some more detailed guidance in there that we'd like to clarify for people about how they can, um, how they can stay in compliance using this provision. Can we go to the next slide? Uh, uh, the other updates that the proposed ordinance would make are to the code's enforcement provisions. Um, it is currently our existing practice to use a more likely than not standard to determine whether a violation of campaign finance law has occurred. So what that looks like in practice is we receive a complaint and after a campaign finance investigation occurs, we evaluate the evidence that we've gathered through that process 
and we find a violation if the evidence supports that it's more likely than not that that violation occurred. Um, while this is our standard and it's consistent with the standard used in other similar types of investigations at the county, um, it's not actually currently written into code or rule. Um, and so this ordinance would adopt language into code that describes the existing standard and burden of proof that we currently rely on. Um, and that will make our existing investigation and enforcement processes more transparent to candidates and members of the public so they know what to expect um, when we're going through a process like this. Let me go to the next slide. Um, and then the other piece of enforcement uh, language that we are, that this ordinance would um, make updates to uh, has to do with the fact that current enforcement provisions, um, they do apply to all aspects of the campaign finance code. Um, but since contribution limits were still being litigated um, when the code was amended in 2019 to um, to encompass the rules for disclosure requirements. The current text that's in the code in our enforcement section um, focuses much more explicitly on enforcement for disclosure requirements um, or violations related to disclosure requirements. Um, and so this final piece of the ordinance would be to update the enforcement provisions in the code so that it makes it clearer um, through uh, additional language that they cover all sections of the campaign finance code. Um, and that will also uh, contribute to making our investigation and enforcement processes um, more transparent and also easier for candidates and for the public to understand. Um, so this is the summary of, of what's in the ordinance that we're, we've brought before the board today. And I'll leave it there and um, open up for questions. Thank you so much. We'll go to the, um, the board uh, for questions and comments in just a, a minute. Um, I think we have some public testimony on this item that we're going to hear first. So uh, yes. So far, so we'll bring you back. Uh, one public testimony, Charles Johnson. Citizens United, I greet you. I'm Charles Bridge Crane Johnson. Uh, of course, that is a reference to how craptastic our Supreme Court can be. Uh, I don't know for sure if Citizens United was cited when our county attorney office was trying to have to advocate that we the people actually can have expenditure limits, but apparently no, we the people cannot have expenditure limits according to maybe just the Oregon Supreme Court's understanding of perhaps Citizens United. However, I also want to uh, thank you for having this awesome presentation for me. Uh, so that uh, just in case nobody else will challenge Jessica Vega-Peterson, I might dive in and become a small donor finance candidate or hurry up. I don't know if we've heard from Mr. Beeson yet if the voters will have an opportunity to retain him, but now he's briefed on the new uh, things. Uh, on the little sheet of paper we do for this, I uh, marked that I am for R5. This is uh, some great hard work, uh, even if it means learning that way back in the day when we started this, I think, uh, one of the younger, uh, less femme, more mask, Mr. Kafouris was in on trying to get some of these uh, finance restrictions going and uh, maybe Dan Meek. And uh, I hope that uh, when campaign season comes around again, those of you uh, who might be rerunning uh, will talk about both the macro issues like, are we ever gonna fix this country and overturn Citizens United so that we, the people, can decide uh, that money is not speech. Um, but I 
do think you all deserve, you all have been on the right side of that issue, I think, unanimously. And so I look forward to you uh, passing R5 here. Thanks very much. Thank you. We'll now go to the board for uh, questions or comments. Uh, we will start with Commissioner Myron. Thank you. Um, don't really have any questions. Um, I just want to express my appreciation for your work on this um, and uh, continuing to put those pieces together. I was um, one of the um, advocates for the measure when it first came out in 2016. I was so pleased that it passed and I know that there was some confusion and uh, I am glad that it seems like we're at a place where finally a lot of that has been ironed out and um, and can now actually make sense and be conveyed to, um, to the public and to uh, potential candidates for office. So thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Tim and Kali. I did have just uh, overarching, trying to understand how it all fits together with the charter, with the code, with the administrative rules, and I mean the state statute is pretty understandable, but, but, but I'm like just trying to understand like does one feed into another and how do you know? Like we've seen where there's things that don't align with our charter, and so it gets a little bit confusing like why we would reflect something somewhere and not somewhere else that would make, seem to make more sense, but I'm sure there's reasons why. Thank you for the question, Commissioner Stegman. So, you know, our attorney is in the room who can probably speak more eloquently to this, but, um, you know, the charter is, is the overarching rules that the, that the people of Multnomah County have voted on to govern. Um, the code is refinement of that charter to make it operational, which can be changed by the Board of County Commissioners. Um, to provide more clarity, um, and that's what we're seeking today. And then administrative rules are, I think of them more as like the procedures that the, that the division or the department defines in order to create a program that's operational and is well-defined um, both for the division and for the people that, that need to, to utilize the program. That sounds great. That's very helpful. I appreciate you outlining. Uh, so, but why wouldn't we go back? Because I know that there were some discrepancies in our charter, and I can't remember. I think it had something to do with Commissioner Brim Edwards when she came on the board. And so, because I know in one of these, um, you mentioned that you're going to keep it in the charter, the expenditures. But and so that's kind of it's like okay, if we're not adopting it and it's not um, legal or constitutional, then why would we keep it in the charter? Well, that, that's a policy decision, um, but as, as far as the board being able to make the decision whether or not they wanted to go back out for a vote um, to get the charter amendment amended, that could also go through the, the Charter Review Commission, which is coming up in another four years or close okay. to that. Um, so that's that's always an option to um, go back to the voters to say um, this doesn't appear to be operational based on state and federal okay. rulings. 
Um, however, by leaving it in the charter as it was passed by the voters, if state, as Kali mentioned, if state or federal law changed or there was a different interpretation by the courts, um, then we would be able to operate our uh, expenditure limits. Okay, now that makes sense. You're just, we're just kind of being more um, flexible in case uh, the, the legal interpretation changes. So I appreciate you all. Uh, I know the first briefing I was a little bit confused, uh, but I think I've got it, and I really appreciate you simplifying this, and it was a really, really great presentation. So thank you so much, and appreciate your detail to attention. It will make things much uh, more understandable for candidates, and uh, clear is good. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards. <clears throat> Thanks. I have a couple comments and then um, just a few questions. Um, and I'm going to start with j just um, a statement of appreciation. Um, most candidates aren't lawyers. Um, and so having to um, look at the code, the charter, um, the administrative rules, and then try and make sense of it all um, is, is a challenge. And so I. I think this is a step in the right direction to try and, um, especially with contribution limits, most campaigns can't afford to hire a lawyer to, um, except I think most candidates want to be in compliance with, with the rules, but it's not often, it's not always easy to do that without um, actually having a lawyer advise, advising you. Um, so I really appreciate the effort to try and make it um, at least most parts of it, uh, pretty straightforward and understandable that a candidate without a lawyer could could understand and follow, and follow the rules. Again, I think most candidates want to do that. Um, I also appreciate the, um, you know, looking at how the elections have run and making some changes. I think the longer timeline on the refund is another important change because just given how campaigns have changed, it used to be people were like writing you checks and you could look at the check and you know, understand what the rules were and send it back if they didn't fit. And I think um, now with, um, you know, credit card donations and things, sometimes things happen before and the tran a transaction may happen before um, there's an opportunity to correct it. So I think this will allow more candidates who are trying to comply with the law to actually um, comply or not with the law, with the code. Um, the, so the questions I had um, on page, and this is in the enforcement section, on page six, there's, um, this is around the violations. It's the director would determine if there's sufficient evidence. Is that a legal term of art, sufficient, or is that um, elections term? Is that a question we need the attorney to weigh in on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if that's a term of art or if that's different or Sorry, this is the, Good morning. This is the lawyer question. <laughs> um, for the record, Catherine Thomas from the county attorney's office. So the whole standard there is sufficient evidence to show it's more likely than not that a violation has occurred. So the the more term of art part of it is the more likely than not. Um, and so in, in conducting an investigation, the uh, staff would be looking to see if there was sufficient evidence, enough evidence to show that it's more likely than not. So that's really more the term of art. And more likely than not is really 50% uh, plus one. Okay. Great. Um, then 
my other question was around the, there's a significant expansion of the definition of communication. And I was wondering, um, this is on page two and top page three, wh what is that attempting to capture? Is that, is that because those forms of communication would need disclosures? So, or be considered in-kind contributions or? Yeah, so this is uh, information that we've carried over from our existing administrative rule as we were um, going through implementation of the code. These are kind of areas that were identified as needing additional clarification for candidates um, or people who are uh, making disclosures to um, you know, provide additional guidance for them. So this is existing practice already. It's just that currently it's in our administrative rule because that's where we had the ability to, at that time, to make this clarification. And now we um, are proposing to have it as part of the code to kind of complete the definition of communication so that when people look at it, they're not thinking that this definition of communication and code is complete. I've done my due diligence and don't have to look anywhere else. Um, and so instead of directing them to administrative rule for the clarification, having the complete definition in code. Okay, so it's just lifting the definition from one place and moving it. Okay. Exactly, Great. yes. Thanks. And then um, my last question, this I think goes to Commissioner um, Stegman's question. So the issue that came up in a special election is whether, and it just, to, just to clarify that, that this isn't, it's my understanding this isn't addressed in this set of revisions, um, is that if um, a candidate accepts a contribution, if they're in a special election and they accept a contribution in a, um, at the maximum amount for the special election, they're still allowed, if they meet the definition of candidate and the definitions, to also accept a second contribution to, up to the maximum for the next general election? that's not being changed in this sort of? So it's not being changed in the code. Um, according to the code, when we talk about, um, uh, you know, like candidate election cycles um, and the contributions that you're allowed to accept during them, the keyword there is during an election cycle, you can accept up to $568, our current contribution limit. Um, when you're a candidate in a special election, and if you're also a candidate, um, you know, under the definition, the campaign finance definition terms, if you're also a candidate in the regular election cycle for that same office, you can collect up to that $568 for both the special election and for the regular election. If you happen to be, you know, if those are happening at the same time, then, you know, a candidate could say on this day that I'm a candidate for both of those election cycles and it's during both of those election cycles, you could be collecting um, $568 on that particular day for both. Um, we aren't making any changes to that or we aren't proposing any changes to that in our code. Um, you do understand that that is, um, it takes a heavy reading of our code to understand that. So our, um, we are making our updates in administrative rule and that is one area that we are um, planning to have provisions that more clearly state to 
candidates and the public and anybody who has um, anybody who's a stakeholder in this to know that that is a possibility to have that clearly stated and provide some um, additional information about how people can stay in compliance um, so that that way it's it's fair to everybody involved and as you were mentioning earlier commissioner um, you know, if people don't have a lawyer, it may not be something that is easy for them to pick up out of the code. And so we, we do want to take steps to make that clearer and more transparent. Um, and we plan to do that through administrative rule. We are also working on um, communication materials so that that information will be available for people on our website as well as part of the FAQs that we have available to people who are um, trying to understand our campaign finance rules. So um, thank you for answering all the questions. And again, um, I appreciate the, I think, improvements because and the clarity gives um, candidates. Um, and I hope that just will look at this as a sort of continuous process that as issues come up in um, different cycles that um, they use it as a way to continue to provide clarity so that cause I do think most candidates want to be in compliance. All right. Um, Commissioner Beeson, as the only person who has not run for office under these <laughs> campaign finance rules, do you have any questions or comments? Uh, it turns out, even though I haven't run, I do have opinions about it. <laughs> so good. That's, that's why you're here. Uh, I, I want to thank you all for the work. The, your memo was excellent. This, the presentation was great. Uh, this is a great housekeeping, important housekeeping measure. So uh, I look forward to supporting it. I do think that, um, you know, campaign finance rules determine who gets to run and win uh, too often in this country. And uh, I think that the county's co complex rules uh, tend to favor the well-connected. Uh, so I'm definitely interested in expanding um, what options are on the table at the county um, so that we can continually see folks um, who we historically haven't seen on the board uh, have that chance to run and win. So I know we're not talking about that today, but in my brief time here, I hope we get to talk about it more. So uh, thank you all for your work. Thank you. Well, I just want to appreciate um, Tim, colleague, Catherine, everyone in the elections team who's been working on this. I think these are important steps that we take to pr provide the clarity and direction that candidates or potential candidates or other stakeholders need as we're talking about the campaign finance rules. Um, and just so appreciate all the work that's gone into these updates, but all the work that's gone into putting the program in place. Um, and uh, just to, to kind of reflect on that, I mean, I do think um, in regards to uh, Commissioner Stegman's question about the um, pieces around the charter, that is something that we as a board, as, as Tim said, as, as a policy decision, would need to um, refer to the voters for consideration if it's not done through the charter committee. So I do think if there were changes in taking such a big step, we would probably want to have a more robust discussion about what we would be doing for um, in that. So um, thank you all very much for this. Um, may we have a roll call vote, Marina? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega-Peterson? Aye. The board, oh, sorry, the first reading is approved and the second reading is scheduled for December 14th, 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, that brings us to the end of our um, agenda. So now is the time when we have um, board comments on non-agenda items. Um, I would just remind the board that we are going to be reconvening here at 2 p.m. this afternoon 
um, for a joint county and city uh, meeting for updates and discussion regarding our homelessness response system. Um, and then wanted to open it up for any members of the board for questions or comments. We'll start with um, Commissioner Myron. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who attended um, my virtual town hall last night. It was uh, pretty incredible, and um, there was there were uh, so many folks there, um, and I uh, it was it was talking about homelessness and uh, overarching framework to address the the biggest issues facing our community and. Um, it was just uh, it was just wonderful. So, um, and it will be available. The recording is available. It will be posted on my website. We'll be sound, uh, sending it out if you want to check it out. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much. I know I had staff attend that um, last night, so they enjoyed it. Um, uh, Commissioner Beeson. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I'm I am five weeks in, and I have met so many new uh, and incredible county employees who have been gracious and kind and smart, uh, and so I just feel uh, incredibly lucky uh, to have had the chance uh, to be here for these these next few months and just consistently impressed uh, by the talent and skills that we have here at the county. So. Thanks. That's wonderful, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards. So just want to say that I appreciate the chairs um, pointing me to the shelter strategy work group um, and Commissioner um, Jayapal's uh, place, and um, really excited about the work that is moving forward with the city. Um, I think the, the various uh, strands of work that's happening, whether it's the shelter strategy work group or the ongoing work at the IGA, um, our joint meetings are really going to result in a much more coordinated, um, stronger response to um, homelessness in our community. And um, also, I, I'm also looking forward to the conversation this afternoon and the presentation around really having uh, much stronger metrics, both in the IGA, um, but also um, in the shelter strategy group about what we're trying to achieve uh, through our work. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Again, thank you for the appointment. And I think that work, it's the, the work that's happening in that work group hopefully will feed in and support the ongoing work of the um, commission. Thank you. Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I just wanted to recognize, I see Erica Pruitt in the audience. Hi, Erica. And, uh, I, and I know that we'll have time, uh, but we know that Erica's retiring. And just wanted to express my gratitude to you, Erica, and recognize uh, what an important, critical role you've played for 30 years in our county. Uh, so anyway, just saw you in the audience, and I just wanted to say hi. and. So great to see you. And also wanted to recognize Rachel Banks. I wasn't here, uh, but uh, wanted to uh, personally uh, welcome Rachel back. So we have people uh, coming and going, uh, but ultimately uh, we're going in the right direction. And while we, we lose, I mean, when I was at the uh, city council in Gresham, it was always that if you had people stay with you for two, three, five years, 
that was good because that meant that they were moving on up, they were taking on increasing amounts of responsibility, but to have people stay here for 30 years, and we have, I mean, when we had the um, Employee Recognition Award, uh, like, who stays at a job for 30 years or 40 years? I mean, not very, not very many. So anyway, just wanted to uh, express my gratitude uh, for long, long time employees uh, that have served the county for, for decades and to welcome back returning employees. Uh, that I wholeheartedly agree, we are not losing her yet, so I just want to make that very clear. Um, she has done a really excellent job of, of being very planful and thoughtful um, as that, um, and I think I would just answer the question, wonderful people stay at the county for 30 years. That's, that's who stays at the county for 30 years. Um, so um, with that, um, I just wanted to actually welcome back Marina. It is fantastic to have you back. Uh, your support of uh, making sure our, our you know, meetings run smoothly and everything and um, is just phenomenal and just really can um, even feel you being back here, what a difference it is. And so I, and also just appreciate Tasha all the work that um, Tasha did over the past several months um, as well to, to fill it in. It's been a really great team effort, including um, a lot of folks on my team who have stepped into this work, but um, it is wonderful, wonderful to have you back. So there being no further business, we are adjourned.